help keep this show free by buying some of our swag of apparel at butcherspit.com. We have t-shirts, hoodies, and even baby onesies. That's butcherspit.com. Day 29 of October, 31 days of creatures and villains from horror movies. This is Murky Chronicles 19. I am Zephala, the Butcher Dobashi. And I am gorgeous Kenny Roberts. And yes, you are. And our, our, our horror creature uh, for the day 29 is the mummy. And I want to say thank you to each one of you Murky Chronicles uh, listeners that email us at murkychronicles at gmail.com. So what do you think about the mummy? What do I think of the mummy? The mummy's awesome. I think, uh, you know, he's been around a long time. And, um, you know, with movies stretching from, from probably, uh, the, you know, the, the, the ages to, to the modern day with, you know, The Rock and uh, Brandon Frazier. Uh, what's your thoughts? Well, before I go into my thoughts, I can't wait for our Halloween sp- special, the Monsters Halloween special. We got a treat for every one of one of you guys. So I think tomorrow we have the Blob, and then we have our Halloween special for Halloween. Then after that, who knows? There might be a little tweak or two in our Murky Chronicle show. So tune in, and you will find out. Awesome! Awesome! Yep! Yep! Well, okay. Well, you know, I know you have some facts there, so let me run down. And before I run down my list, we have another awesome uh, old-time uh, radio uh, story we're going to play at the end of the show, and it's uh, from uh, 1942, and it's titled The Cave of Alibaba. So, but, yeah, so I listened to it, and it's pretty, it's from Suspense Theater, and and, 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 and it was pretty good, but... Okay, so what I have, I'll stop babbling, and I have a list, and I believe this is the movie list um, of the Mummy movies released in the United States. So I figured I have the Rotten Tomatoes ratings on there, and there's like three of them that don't have any ratings, but I guess we could read them down real quick and see if any of us watched them and our thoughts. What do you think? Sounds good. All right, the first one was from 1944, The Mummy's Curse. Have you seen that? The Mummy's Curse. I have not. I may have seen it. I, I remember seeing one of the first ones, and I thought it was, if it's the one I'm thinking of, I kind of liked it, and Rotten Tomatoes rated it 93%. So, and then... In 1940, uh, we have The Mummy's Hand. Have you seen that one? No, uh, no I have not. How about you? I don't think so. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes has it at 67%. And then there's The Mummy's Tomb from 1942. Have you seen that one? No. I think I've, I remember watching it when I was younger and it was like one of those Saturday movie things they'd have on TV and I thought it was pretty good. I mean, I I dig mummy movies and then there's, and that was, but that was only 29%. And then there was the mummy's ghost from 1944, Rotten Tomatoes, 33%. Have you seen that one? No. How about The Mummy's Curse from 1944? That one, I might have seen that one as well. You know, as a kid, they played a lot of those movies, either late night, nightmare theater. Yes. Um, You know, I'm sure I've seen, I'm sure I've seen it. Yeah, that got nine, uh, that got uh, 44%. Now this one I loved. I've seen this a lot of times when I was younger. 
Abbott and Costello Meet the Mummy from 1955. I love that movie. I've seen that one. Absolutely. Did you like it? I mean, you know, who doesn't love Abbott and Costello? Well, Rotten Tomatoes gave it 27%. Well, they never, they never get comedy really good. Yeah. Okay, how about the 1959 The Mummy? Not, uh, not quite sure. Who started that one? You know, I don't have that, but I think maybe we should do a review of it because Rotten Tomatoes gave it 100%. Wow. And then there's The Curse of the Mummy's Tomb. 1964, there was no ratings on that one. The Mummy Shroud, 1967, Rotten Tomatoes, 57%. Okay, we're coming down to the last five. The Blood from the Mummy's Tomb, 1971, no rating. But Have you seen any of those? No. Okay, here's the one. I think this is where The Rock got his first movie break. He had, no, 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 no. I'm thinking about the Scorpion King. Was the Ruck in the Mummy? Yeah. Okay. That got 55% from 1999. And then there's the Mummy Returns. Only got 47%. Did you see that? No. And then the latest one, the Tomb of the Dragon Emperor from 2008, only received 13%. From uh, Rotten Tomatoes, The Mummy Tomb of the Dragon Emperor. And then there was one more, The Mummy from 2017, no rating. So, yeah. So, I don't know. I know there's quite more movie, mummy movies, but I think they were all like foreign films or something. But, yeah, that pretty much all I got on the movies. Um, But I I think I'm going to... Over the uh, next couple of days, I think I'm going to watch The Mummy from 1959 and uh, see what that's all about because it's a high rating, and that got better ratings than all of them. Wow. Well, as far as, you know, facts that I got, you know, um, trying to find, you know, any inside facts on on, on the movies, uh, the Mummy movies, series over the years I, I really couldn't find any but you know as far as movies they date back mummies they, they date back to the egyptian time and so there's plenty of facts on that you know um and little tidbits here you know how are mummies made techniques vary between cultures but essentially the dead bo- the body is dead dried by weather or with chemicals to pre- prevent uh decay in ancient egypt they set up the process by removing the internal organs and storing them in so-called canomic jars, which were called um, and were, which were buried alongside the mummy. So that's crazy, you know. They they would just gut them, let them dry out, and wrap them up. Well, well, you know that. Uh, can you hear me? Okay, is my mic okay? Yeah, uh, it sounds a little. You sound like you're. How about now? miles away. How about now? Better? Yep. I got to fix this darn cord. This whole Halloween month in October, my cords have been getting cursed. But um, I was going to say, those Egyptians, man, back in the day, they were so advanced. You know, I think they were ahead of their time. I mean, they've done a lot of, like, medical procedures and stuff back then. Yeah, that's yeah, it's crazy, you know, with the pyramids and just everything, you know, all the all their all their uh, paintings and scriptures, you know, it's, who's to say, man, you know how things were back then. Yeah, they definitely well, well, very intelligent. But as far as mummies, I mean, you can go really deep into you know into that and. Uh, you know, the most famous mummy of all was uh, King Tut. Yep. Wasn't, you his, know, why wasn't was his full name Tutankhamun or something like that? Tutankhamun? Yeah, there you go. And why was he Why was he so special, you know? 
in life, Tutankhamun was a, a minor pharaoh, overshadowed by his mother, Neferiti. I'm probably torturing this. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. And his and uh, and his pyramid building ancestors. His fame today is because his tomb has survived nearly 2,500 years without being robbed or ruined, wow. leaving all magnificent grave goods intact. But wow. that's why he's. I remember that got discovered when we were young. You know, well, I think it's the 70s, early 80s. Yeah. Well, maybe. I I have a a quick uh, fact about King Tutankhamun. Maybe this is why he's so famous. What's that? Did you know when they found him, he had an erect penis? Really? <laughs> yeah. It said. Uh, it says the people mummifying his body most probably kept the organ on a vertical position. Why is that? That's your food for thought. But when, when they mummified him, yep, they made sure his penis was erect. Did they have, did they have a flag on it or anything? <laughs> I don't know, but I thought that was interesting. So what else you got? Oh, what else you got? Well, a good old Steve, Steve Martin made a song about King Tut back yep. in the day, too. Born in Arizona, raised in Babylon, King Tut. Remember that SNL? Back when SNL yep. was funny, not a the yep. crap right now. And it says you can find mummies in South America. Mummies were also made by the South America Amara and Inca cultures, but unlike the Egyptians, they used uh, low oxygen, high winds, and cold temperatures of the Andes Mountains to make their mummies. And oh, wow. many of these also seem to be victims of sacrifice. What? 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 Yeah, so, I mean, I can go on and on with these mummy, mummy factoids. Um, sorry I don't have more about the movie series, but, uh, you know, if it wasn't for these, these old ones, these real mummies, the movies wouldn't be really relevant. Well... I have one that you might like. I got a fact. I had a bunch of them, but I, I took a couple out just to. The Egyptians found that anabolic, anabolic beers. The Egyptians found anabolic beers almost 2,000 years back and used it to make better mummies. Um, they were saying they were clever. They found both anabolic, anabolics and the use of it. Uh, I'm sorry, anabolics. Antibiotics, anabolics, antibiotics, antibiotics. What? Are they all all weighted up? Yeah. (laughs) Well, okay, let me retract that. The Egyptians (laughs) found (laughs) antibiotic beers almost 2,000 years back and used it to make better mummies. See, they found that uh, antibiotics... They, they, they found both antibiotics and the use of it. In other words, they came up with antibiotics. They got uh, tyrosine out of the fermented grains in the form of beer. They would start drinking the anti- uh, antibiotic-laced beer around age two. So they, they, they start drinking young. Continuing throughout their lives... So even their mummies were pretty healthy. So, yeah, I guess, you know, they gave their kids from, you know, the age of two, and their beers was uh, laced with antibiotics or antibiotics-laced beer. So I guess that kept them healthy and uh, start fighting whatever they were fighting. Wow. I can't believe. One more. I can't believe. What did I call antibiotics? Anabolic. Anabolic. I'm thinking about anabolic steroid. Yeah, brother. Yeah. What you gonna do? What you gonna do when King Tut's running wild on you, brother? That's right. One more thing, eh? Uh, there's also mummies in Italy. For centuries, a town called Benzone in the Ferrari region of Italy has intrigued the world. A collection of over 40 medieval bodies placed in a church's crypt seem to naturally mummify. Explanations given from a range from uh, miracles to fungus. 
but no one is exactly sure. Oh, wow. And so back in the 50s, uh, Life Magazine, um, uh, what you call it, uh, a guy that worked for the magazine went, went there and uh, documenting the townspeople carrying the bodies outside the church and dressing them as if they were still alive. Unfortunately, in 1976, an earthquake hit the town and destroyed many of these unusual mummies. Oh, wow. Crazy. Now, I remember in elementary school and stuff when they were, you know, when they were doing the whole King Tut thing. Mm-hmm. Weren't, weren't they cursed, or was that just in the movies? No, I, I, I think the guy that actually discovered it was cursed. Yeah, that's what I thought. Shoot, that could and, be you know, another that's, episode that's or something. Cool. Yeah. Absolutely. We've, we've, we've touched a, a bit on curses. Yeah, we did. Um, and there's definitely plenty of them out there. Yeah, just like my microphone mic or cord, and then I can't even say antibiotics. I'm thinking about right. anabolic steroids, brother. Exactly. Well, yeah, yep. Well, shoot, man. That's all I got for that. But, uh, you know, we do have the movie of the week as well. Yes, the movie of the week. Do you want to introduce you? our movie of the week? And I'll give you my absolute thought. I haven't had my sugar yet. I've been eating healthy and clean and trying to take my body into the gym and hang and bang with my gimp foot. And I'm ready to get that sugar high this Sunday on Halloween. Have you been hanging and banging, brother? I've been hanging and breaking, brother. What you going to do? Saying your prayers and eating your vitamins. Yeah, brother. Okay, let's talk about your movie. So, did you get a chance to watch it? It It's called Hell Night, starring Linda Blair, um, 1981. It has Vincent Van Patten and Peter Barton as well. Well... I really didn't want to like the movie because you got on my movie Sugar Hill and and I have to say I really enjoyed it. That's probably one of my favorite movies I watched during October of the movie out of our movie of the week. I have to say this is probably my favorite one. I it, thought it wasn't bad. Huh? It wasn't it's bad. Not bad. It wasn't bad. I mean, Linda Blair, she was hot in that her, that what's the other chick on there? She was hot. Um, I, I thought it was great. I didn't know what to expect. And I, like I said, I didn't want to like it. I was like cursing you out in the back of my mind. I have to watch it. And I, I, it caught me right away. I was like, Oh, whole sorority thing. And, um, um, I thought it was good. The only two things that bug me in the movie, and I don't care if it's spoilers, if they haven't watched the movie by now, screw them. But uh, not really, but you know what I'm saying. But Because it's been around a while. I had a problem when that, that, the, that monster guy got shot a couple times and he came back and then, uh, and then you know, he gets stabbed by the... Okay, let's back up. So when Linda Blair leaves... And she finally gets into the car, right? And she, then she backs right. up, and the gate falls on uh, on the back of her car, the car that she got into. And I'm thinking, oh, she's stuck. Is well, is that guy gonna come? That monster? I forgot the guy's name, but and I'm thinking, what a dummy! I was pissed off. I wanted to throw the the the, the my phone at the TV, and then she got out. And then all of a sudden the monster hops on top of the car and starts punching through the window. And then she backed up and the, 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 the gate speared the monster. Then I was okay with it because that fence that broke the gate that broke, it had a meaning to it. So I, I thought it was okay. I, I, I liked it. I liked it too bad. You know, the guy with the shotgun, uh, Van Patten, he died. I was kind of, disappointed in that you know yeah you get the root for him you know he runs and tries to get the cops to help out and you know they don't want to help and... yeah and the, the only thing is though what pisses me off and this back okay what, what was that 
probably in the eighties when that's supposed to be that era, right? In the eighties. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Now tell me, you could go in the police police precinct, go into a room. There'll be guns sitting on the table. He grabs the 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 the, the shotgun and he hops out the window. Do you think the guns would be that accessible back in the day in the eighties? No. I mean, I remember uh, Rambo First Blood. Yeah. It's kind of the same thing, man. It just seemed like uh, the police stations, uh, the, the guns were just available, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, <laughs> but no, I really, I, I really liked it. Um, shoot, I don't know what else to say about it. I, I thought it was, it, it was, it was a nice horror movie. Um, but yeah, what, no, it, it was definitely sign of the times, right? You know, for, you know, from your, your teenage slasher movie, typical, in, little different premise than your, you know going to the lake you know they're staying in a house murder house you know and, you know i i caught a couple things too okay you know at the beginning when the 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 head frat guy shoots the lock and it breaks supposedly break yep. and he walks in i know i i look for little things like that and i said why in the hell is he locking it he supposedly shot it so that kind of pissed me off because i was picking the movie apart right right and then come to find out the gun was a blank were blanks so I was like, no, oh, we, so we don't, want talk, we don't want to talk about guns with blanks, right? Oh yeah. Oh, psh. karma's a bitch. No. That's all I gotta say. Mm-hmm. Yep. But but so they were blanks. So you know, I was like, okay. So I like stuff like that. When when you know, if you, I like picking up subtle stuff, and then you're like, kind of, I get pissed off, and then come back to it. I was like, oh, that was a good idea. They, they you know. It had a meaning, you know, had a meaning. Kind of an eye for detail on the movie. You yes, know, instead yes. Of not yep. Yep. There's plenty of movies out there you can catch that stuff and they totally screwed up. Yeah. So, so. I know, I, I really liked the movie, so I give you kudos to that. Um, I really liked it. It was an old school slasher movie. Great story. Um, before I give my rating, what, 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 what's your thoughts? I already know you like it, but. Yeah, I liked it. That's one that, you know, I watched, you know, in early high school a lot with my, you know, high school sweetheart. And, um, yeah, no, I think she owned it on uh, VHS and we watched it quite a bit. So, or tried to watch it anyways. But, uh, yeah, it was, it was good. Yeah. Um, I believe I, I probably saw it in the theater. I think I saw it at the Rialto down there on, what's that, 9th, 9th Street? Yes, back the when Rialto they used to play theater. Movies. I remember that. Yep. Do you remember back in the day too? They used to like have dance parties there too. I don't. I don't remember that. Yeah, the Rialto. It's still there. I remember. I was looking into it. You know, when we we're like looking for buildings for Sasquatch Pro, and you know how much it costs to rent that Rialto theater. I was like, Jiminy Crickets. It was ridiculous. Like oh my gosh! You're looking. They were talking like between fifteen to twenty thousand dollars. Wow! But I think it's because you know it's a uh, historical or whatever. I don't know, but it's a sweet building. It is. It is. Well, you know, out of out of a five star rating, I would give it probably three three and a half stars. What? You're crazy. You're crazy. Three and a half out of five. You're crazy. Good. You're crazy. Yeah. You are well, okay. crazy. What are you doing? I can't what believe you, you. You got Sugar Hill wrong. You got Else uh, Samson versus the Vampire Women wrong. You got what's what's the other what's the other movie we did? Funhouse. Funhouse. You got that wrong. No, we agreed on Funhouse. And now you got this one wrong. What'd you got? So what do you give it? I said three and a half. Three and a half stars out of five. Man, this is what I think about your rating. <laughs> you want to know what I get? What'd you give? 4.9. 4.9? Yes, 4.9. <laughs> I really dug it. I enjoyed it. Maybe because I you went into love. You like that whole head spinning around and puking. No, no. I came in with low expectation and I came out good. I give it a 4.9. Okay. 
I would, I'll, I'll, I'll I would glad you like it. I'd give it a, I'd give it a full five. But the whole uh, the whatever that character got blasted with the shotgun twice and nothing really and happened. Because though. I picked it as well too, huh? You're not gonna give it a five because I. No, no, no. Yeah, I would. If I was really facetious like that, I'd give it below a three point, whatever you gave it. Gotcha. Well, you asked me first, so I don't. But you're crazy. You know how to pick a movie, but you don't know how to rate them. Oh, no, no. There's a lot of good movies out there. It's a good movie. Okay. Well, we definitely got to, we definitely got to come out with a rating system for our show starting in November. Cause, uh, yep. and, and we'll, we'll talk before then. And, you know, who knows? Our show might be revamped a little bit. Who knows? But we'll still be going strong. But I, I'll have to say, though, thank you. That was a good movie. I enjoyed it. But I well, think you're it, welcome. I think thank it you should, for your choices. Well, I have to say this was the best movie out of all the ones we picked. But I still say you gave it a low rating. Hey, you know, just one of those things, man. You know, but anyways, you know, it's been an interesting October, you know, got to see some movies I've never seen before and revisited movies I've seen before. So it's good, yeah. you know, and we did it. Um, we got two more days and we'll do the whole 31 days. Yep. You know, we got, got a few more, uh, creatures and villains coming up and, uh, we'll nail that coffin shut. Yep. We got the blob and then we got the monsters. Halloween special. Nice. But, all right, well, I guess we're getting to that point. Ready for our shout-out. So if you want to go first, because you're stitching is bitching. All right. Yeah, I just want to give a shout-out to Micah over at Savage Reviews. Um, check him out on Google. You know, he, he reviews just about everything he does. So whether it be food, uh, mechanics, um, I think he might even do movies as well. Check him out. He's he's pretty spot on and does a good job with it. So, um, what's up, Micah? And then what uh, up, shout Micah? Out to, uh, shout out to Mitch or Vince. I mean, Mitch. who's Mitch? Vince over, <laughs> Vince over at Emerald Street Kennels. Uh, what's up, Vince? Go check him out if you need some dog kennels. Uh, some overnights, some doggy daycares, all that good stuff. Check them out, Boise area, if you live in this area. And uh, and a shout-out to, last but not least, Sweet and Low Upholstery. They're stitching his bitching. Check them out on Facebook, Instagram. Uh, like their pages. Uh, if you're in the area or if you need some custom work done, hit us up. All right. Well, what you got? okay, my first shout-out this time is going to be to Mitch. <laughs> and to sweeten little poetry because they have the best tagline in the industry stitching is bitching uh a shout out to my lyrical and daily spit podcasts on most of your favorite platforms um, and also a shout out to pahu rojo and jay linnerman from tales from the abyss the muslim filter unselfish uncut unapologetic unpretentious the greatest celebration of freedom of speech in the land of the free and the home of the brave and also the lyrical spit 24-hour hotline 360-208-779 you may just hear yourself on the show lyricalspit.com where you can get my uh, lyrical and daily spit and murky chronicles also uh all the latest shows and links and don't forget Sunday, our Munsters, Munsters Halloween special um, to end our October 31 days of creatures and villains from horror movies. And, hey, you're going to stop by, aren't you, at the Lyrical Spit um, uh, Halloween trick for your, uh, or whatever, our Halloween special. I can't remember what I titled it. You're going to stop by, are you? We'll see. Well, you better. Or you ain't going to get a mouthful of chocolate nuts the long walk or raisinets or chocolate pistachios but uh is that all we have 
that's all we got for this time. All right. Well, we have a treat for you all. This aired on the ra- on the radio August 19th, 1942. This story is titled The Cave of Alibaba. Save our Alibaba. Ch- Alibaba. Save our children. <laughs> I can't believe I said chocolate nuts. But anyways. These <laughs> nuts. <laughs> Hashtag save our children. Epstein and McAfee didn't kill themselves. And if she has an apple, she has a banana. Oh, banana. <laughs> Enjoy the Cave of Alibaba right after this quick commercial break. The Columbia Network takes pleasure in bringing you Suspense. Suspense. Columbia's play theater of outstanding thrillers. Produced and directed by William Spear and scored by Bernard Herrmann. The notable melodramas from fiction and stage and screen, from the world's great literature of entertaining excitement, presented each week to bring you to the edge of your chair, to keep you in suspense. Tonight's adventure in suspense is from the pen of Dorothy Sayers. She called it the Cave of Alibaba. Like the tale told by Scheherazade, a distinguished ancestress in the storytelling art, Miss Sayers' thriller deals with 40 thieves and with two magic words. For your uneasy listening, then, suspense presents The Cave of Alibaba. On a Saturday afternoon in January, in a grim and narrow house in Lambeth, a man sat eating kippers and reading the daily paper. He was smallish and spare, with brown hair rather too regularly waved and a strong, brown, pointed beard. His double-breasted navy blue suit, his socks, tie, and handkerchief were all scrupulously matched, and his brown boots just a trifle too highly polished. He did not look a gentleman, not even a gentleman's gentleman. Yet there was something about his appearance which suggested that he was accustomed to the manner of life in good families. A superior butler, perhaps, yet not old enough to be retired. A footman who had come into a legacy, yes. He had just finished eating, and he was sipping his coffee when a slight noise at the front door caught his ear. Swiftly. Too swiftly for a quiet little man sitting, eating kippers and reading his paper on a Saturday afternoon, he sprang up, he dashed through the small hallway, and he flung the door open. Of course, no one in sight. The society is at least dramatic in its delivery of its correspondence. And as if he knew what he would find, he shut the door and turned to the hat stand in the hall. An envelope had been placed there. It was addressed to Joseph Rogers. So Mr. Rogers opened the note. Number 21. An extraordinary general meeting will be held tonight at the house of number one at 11.30. You, you will be absent at your peril. The word is finality. Hmm. Finality. Yes, I think so. The man called Joseph Rogers stood for a moment studying the note... Then he strode to the rear of the house to a tall safe built in the wall. Carefully, he manipulated a dial. He swung the safe door open. He stepped inside into a small strong room. He opened a drawer marked correspondence, placed the note inside, and then came out again. A moment to reset the lock for a new combination, and then he went back into the living room. He reached for the telephone. He lifted it from the cradle and then reconsidered. Too dangerous. He hurried upstairs and clambered into an attic. In the furthest corner, 
He searched for and found a knothole in the woodwork. He pressed it. A concealed trapdoor swung open and he was in the loft of the adjoining house. He paused before three cages, in each of them a carrier pigeon. Carefully, he wrote a note, slipped it under a pigeon's wing. There you are, my pretty. There, take it easy now. There There you go. Fly straight. 4.30. I'll send another pigeon at 5 and the third at 6. I should have my answer by 9.30 at the latest. Oh, I forgot one thing, most important. Mr. Rogers moved through the trapdoor, back into the attic of his own house, and once again he stood before the tall safe built in the wall. He opened the door, stepped into the strong room, moved for a moment quietly in the dark, and then spoke gently. Now, be good, my sweetheart. I'm depending on you. Open sesame. Come on now, old thing. Open sesame. Open sesame. Ah, That's better. That's very much better. By 9.30, his answer was back. All the little piece of paper said was a hasty okay. At a quarter before 11, he took his revolver from a locked drawer, inspected it carefully. Yes, loaded it with cartridges from an unbroken packet and left the house. He walked quickly, keeping well away from the wall. And when he climbed on a bus, he sat next to the conductor, where he could watch all who got on and off. By 25 minutes after 11, he was out on lonely Hampstead Heath, pausing in the shadow of a large tree to adjust a black velvet mask on which, in white thread, was stitched the number 21. Then he stepped briskly to the door of the villa that lay before him and... What is it? Finality. Come in. Go right on through. Number one will check you in. Right. Twenty-one, sir. Lift your mask. Very well, twenty-one. You may go on to the meeting room. Thank you, sir. The villa in which Mr. Rogers now stood was a large one, a brilliantly lighted room. There was a gramophone in one corner blaring out a jazz tune. To its rhythm, couples, masked men and women, were dancing. Some were in evening dress, some in tweeds and jumpers. In another corner of the room was the bar. Mr. Rogers went up to it and asked the masked man in charge for a double whiskey. He consumed it slowly, leaning on the bar. The room filled. Presently, someone moved across to the gramophone and stopped it. Mr. Rogers looked around. Number one, the massive gentleman in evening dress who had checked him in, appeared on the threshold. A tall woman in black stood beside him. Her mask, embroidered with a white number two, covered her hair and her face completely. Only her, her fine bearing, her white arms, and her... Dark eyes, shining through the eye slits, proclaimed her as a woman of power, of physical attraction. The masked dancers were silent now, as number one spoke. Ladies and gentlemen, we are short two members tonight. I need not inform you of the disastrous failure of our plan for obtaining the plans of the court Wendelsam Heliscoper. Our courageous and devoted friends... Number 15 and number 38 were betrayed and taken by the police. Some of you might fear that under examination these two would break down and give away our society. There is no need for such a fear. I gave the usual orders and their tongues have been silenced. Their defense will be discreetly compensated in the usual manner. I call upon number 12 and 34 
to undertake this agreeable task. They will attend me at my office for their instructions after the meeting. Will the numbers I have named kindly signify by raising their hands that I are able and willing to perform this duty? Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, please take your partners for the next dance. The gramophone struck up again. Mr. Rogers turned to a girl near him in a red dress. She nodded, and they slipped into the movement of a foxtrot. The couples gyrated solemnly and in silence. Their shadows were flung against the blinds as they turned and stepped to and fro. The girl in red spoke to Mr. Rogers. What's happened? I'm frightened, aren't you? I feel as if something awful was about to happen. It does take one a bit short. Number one's way of doing things. But it's safer like that. Oh, those poor men. Don't no uh, talk in praise. You know the rules. Sorry. In silence, the dance continued. And then it came to an end. And then when it had finished, the dancers came again to where number one sat and waited with tense eagerness for him to speak. Ladies and gentlemen, you may wonder why this extraordinary meeting has been called. The reason is a serious one. The failure of our recent attempt was no accident. The police were not on the premises that night by accident. We have a traitor amongst us. This last failure was not the first. You'll remember the unfortunate way in which the affair of the Dinglewood Pearls turned out. And there were others. However, I am happy to say that our minds can now be easy. All these troubles have been traced to their origin. The offender has been discovered and will be removed. The misguided member who introduced the traitor to our ranks will be placed in a position where his lack of caution will have no further ill effects. There's no cause for alarm. Ladies and gentlemen, please take your partners for the next dance. Again, the gramophone took up its bizarre monotony, and the masked dancers glided and turned, and their movements were sharper, more staccato. The girl in red was claimed by a tall mask in evening dress. A hand laid on Mr. Rogers' arm made him start. A small, plump woman in a green jumper slipped a cold hand into his. The dance went on. When it stopped, everyone stood detached, stiffened in expectation. The endless interval was over. Number one raised his voice. Ladies and gentlemen, you will no doubt wish to be relieved of the questions on your mind. I will name the persons involved. Number 37. No, no. Silence. I swear I never. Silence. You have failed in discretion. You will be dealt with. If you have anything to say in defense of your folly, I'll hear it later. Sit down. Number 37 sank down upon a chair. He pushed his handkerchief under the mask to wipe his face. Two tall men closed in upon him. The rest fell back. Ladies and gentlemen, I will now name the traitor. Stand forward. Number 21. Take off your mask. Number 37. This man was introduced to our society by you under the name of Joseph Rogers, formerly second footman in the service of the Duke of Denver, dismissed for petty thievery. Did you take steps to verify the statement? I did. I did as God's my witness. It was all straight. I had him identified by two of the servants. I asked all over about him. The story was true. I'll swear it was. Number 21. Your name has been given as Joseph Rogers. Is that your real name? Answer me. Is that your real name? No. What is your name? Peter Death Breden Whimsy. Silence! My compliments, Your Lordship. We thought Lord Whimsy was dead. He was killed, so the paper said two winters ago while shooting big game in Africa. He even left a will, proved to 500,000 pounds. To his mother, I believe, the Dowager Duchess of Denver. Lord Peter Whimsy, indeed. Well known book collector, man about town, distinguished criminologist. 
took an active part in the solution of several famous mysteries. Taking an active part, if you don't mind. So you deliberately led us to think you were dead and became Joseph Rogers to gain entrance to our society. What has become of the real Joseph Rogers? He died abroad. I, I took his place. And the end of your impersonation to uncover our society. Precisely. I see. The robbery of your own fete, upon which we congratulated ourselves, and which you helped to execute, was arranged. Obviously. The robbery of the Duchess, your mother, was arranged by you. It was. It was a very ugly tiara, no real loss to anybody with decent taste. The burglary of the Winthrop Mansion, the theft of the necklace at Covent Garden, the others as well. You arranged them all. All. Uh, may I smoke, by the way? You may not. Numbers 15, 22, 39. You have watched the prisoner. Has he made any attempt to communicate with anybody? Uh, none. His letters and parcels have been opened. His telephone tapped and his movements followed. Even the water pipes in his house have been under observation for Morse code signals. You're certain? Absolutely. Then we may be sure that he has been alone in this adventure. Well... Ladies and gentlemen, please take oh, your... Very well. Take the prisoner away. And be sure you explain carefully to him first the manner of his death. I'm sure he'll enjoy it. Wait, wait, at least you can let me die d decently. Take him away. Stop, I have something to say, something to sell. We make no bargains with traitors. No, but listen. Do you think I haven't thought of this? I'm not a fool. I've left a letter. To whom? To the police. If I don't return tomorrow, it'll be opened. It's a bluff. The prisoner sent no letter. He's been strictly watched for months. I left the letter before I came to Lambeth. Then it can't contain no information of any value. Oh, but it does. The combination of my safe. Indeed? Has this man's safe been searched? Yes. What did it contain? No information of importance, sir. An outline of our organization, the name of the house, nothing that can't be altered and covered before morning. And did you investigate the inner compartment of the safe? You hear what he says, did you? He's trying to bluff. There is no inner compartment. I hate to contradict you, but I'm really afraid you must have overlooked it. And what did you say was in the compartment, if it does exist? The names of every member of this society with their addresses, photographs, and fingerprints. How oh, oh, did you say you have contrived to get this information? By doing a little detective work on my own. But you've been watched. True, the fingerprints of my watches adorn the first page of the collection. That statement can be proved? Certainly. The name of number 40, for example... Stop! Stop! If you mention names here, you will certainly have no hope of mercy. Bring the prisoner to my office. Ladies and gentlemen, take your partners for the next dance. Yes. Prove that I know your gang from number one through number 25. Do you want me to prove that I know the others as well? My lord, your story fills me with regret that you are not, in fact, a member of our society. Wit, courage, and industry are valuable in an association like ours. I fear I cannot persuade you. No, I suppose not. Yes? Ask the members kindly to proceed to the supper room. Ladies and gentlemen, I'll not conceal from you the seriousness of the situation. The prisoner has recited to me 25 names and addresses which were thought to be unknown except to their owners and to me. There has been great carelessness. Fingerprints have been obtained. He showed me some photographs of them. He tells me that the book of names and addresses is to be found in the inner compartment of his safe together with certain letters and papers stolen from the houses of members and several objects with fingerprints. I believe he tells the truth. He offers the combination of the safe in exchange for a quick death. I think his offer should be accepted. What is your opinion, ladies and gentlemen? The combination is known already. Fool! This man is Lord Peter Wimsey, a scientist of crime. Do you think he will have forgotten to change the combination? Oh, I say give him the promise. Time's getting short. Yeah, 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 yeah. You agreed? It's a bargain, Wednesday. What is the combination? The word of the combination is unreliability. And the inner door, the inner compartment. In anticipation of the visit of the police, the inner door is open. Good. Number 12 and 36. You will go to the prisoner's house and... Why should any more members... That's right. Uh, I agree. 
Nobody ought to be trusted. Then what, ladies and gentlemen, do you suggest? You go yourself. You're the only one that knows all the names. You go yourself. I second that motion. Is the wish of the meeting, then, that I should go? No. I say no. No, don't go. Number one is our president, the head and soul of our society. If anything should happen to him, where should we be? You've all blundered. We have your carelessness to thank for all this. Do you think we should be safe for five minutes if he were not here to repair your follies? Well, there's something in that. If you will pardon my suggesting it, the lady appears to be in a position peculiarly favorable for the reception of the president's confidences. The contents of my modest volume will be no news to her. Why should she not go herself? Because I say she must not. If it is the will of the meeting, I'll go. Give me the key of the house. Here. Is your house watched? No. If I have not returned in two hours, act for the best to save yourselves. And do what you like with the prisoner. The president has been gone two hours. Traitor! What's happened to him? How should I know? Perhaps he's uh, looked after himself and gone while the going was good. Liar! He'd never do that. What have you done with him? Speak, or I'll make you speak. I can, I can only form a guess, madam. I'm afraid that your president may quite inadvertently have left the door of the inner compartment closed behind him, in which case... Yes. Well, let me explain the mechanism of my safe. Hmm? The inner compartment has two doors. The outermost most opens outward with an ordinary key. Oh, do you think that the president is so stupid as to be caught in an obvious trap? Undoubtedly, he will have wedged open that inner door. Undoubtedly, madam. But the sole purpose of that inner door is to appear to be the only one. Hidden behind the hinge of that door is another, a sliding panel, also left open. Inside the compartment is the big, heavy ledger containing all the information about this society. This ledger lies on a steel shelf. Uh, do I make myself clear? Oh, yes, 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 go on. The steel shelf is balanced on a concealed spring. When the weight of the book, the ledger, is lifted, the shelf rises almost imperceptibly, and in rising, it makes an electrical contact. Now, let me draw a picture. Your president steps into the inner compartment, sees the book, takes it up anxiously to examine to see if it's the right one. The shelf rises, the electrical contact is made, and the steel panel behind him slides into place. He's trapped. You devil! What is the word that opens the inner door? Quick, the word! Do you remember the story of Ali Baba and the 40 Thieves? Uh-huh. Well, when, uh, when I had this safe constructed, my mind went back well, call me sentimental, if you will, to my childhood. The words that open the door are open sesame. How long can a man live in this devil's trap of yours? Oh, I should think he might hold out for a few hours if he didn't use up all the oxygen by hammering and yelling. I imagine if we go there at once, we'll be able to get him out all right. I'll go myself. I think you'd better take me with you. Why? Well, I'm the only person who can open the door. But you've given me the word. Yes, you have the word. But this door of mine... (laughs) I'm rather proud of it. You know, it's my own invention. It's the latest thing. It will open to the words open sesame, all right. But to my voice only. Your voice? I'll chop your voice from my hands. What do you mean, your voice only? Don't clutch my throat like that. You'll wreck my voice and then the door might not recognize it. Ah. That's better. The door got stuck for a week once and when I had a cold. Is what he says true? Is it possible? Perfectly possible, madam. It will have a microphone arrangement. Could be done also with light vibrations. We must let him go. Take the ropes off him. Let him go? Nothing. He doesn't go to blab to the police. The president's done in, that's all. And we'd all better make traps while we can. It's all up, boys. Right. Chuck his fellow down the cellar and fasten him in. I'll go and destroy the ledgers. 32, you know where the switch is. Give us a quarter of an hour to clear. Then you can blow the place to glory. No. No, you can't leave one to die. He's your president, your leader. I won't let it happen. I won't. I'll free this man myself. Here, none of that. Let me go. Let go of me. Think, Blanche, think. It'll be light in an hour or two. The police may be here at any moment. Police? Oh, yes. Yes, you're right. No, we mustn't imperil the safety of all for just one man. He himself would not wish it. Throw this man in the cellar and let's get out of here while there's time. Here. Uh, This is good enough. Leave him here. 
Right. Uh, uh, let's go. Hey, you chaps. Yeah? Should have gagged him. I say, it's lonesome down here in this cellar. You might at least leave the light on. Don't worry about the dark. They're taking you here as the time choose for the bomb that's going to blow out this place. It's all set. You won't have long to wait. Uh, not <laughs> long. <laughs> Who is it? Who's there? Shh. Hold still. So I can cut the ropes. Well, if it isn't two. My compliments, madam, on your loyalty to your president. Quick, quick. They've set the time fuse. The house is mined. Follow me as fast as you can. Number one must be saved. And only you can do it. Well, how did you manage to... There's no time for questions. Get up and follow me. You will release him. You promise. I promise. But I warn you, madam, that this house is surrounded. When my safe uh, door closed, it gave a signal to Scotland Yard. All the members of the society had taken... Never mind them. Here, outside. Quick. Is that you, Inspector? Get your fellows away, quick. The house is going up in a minute. Yeah, I'm a bit winded. What's happened, Inspector? Well, about half a dozen of them got blown up. The rest we bagged. Uh, hurry. We must hurry. Who's this? Oh, one of the gang. She's called number two. We must save him. We must. Golly, I clean forgot the gentleman of the safe. Parker, where's your car? It's down the lane. Send one of your men down to get it. Right. Johnson, bring that car here. Yes, sir. I've got the, the number one of the whole company quietly asphyxiating at home. I promised we'd get back and save him. He's the bloke that we've been wanting. The man at the back of the Morrison case and the Hope Wilmington case and hundreds of others. Is this it? Hmm, quite a contraption. Yes, I only hope he hasn't upset the adjustment by something like oh, it. Oh, please, Harry. I hope you haven't heard my voice. Oh, you sound all right. If I can only be conversational. Come on, old thing. Show us your paces. Open sesame. Open sesame, confound you. Open sesame. Open sesame. He's dead. Let me see. No, he's not. He lived to stand his trial. right with the world, as it always is when Lord Peter Whimsey is involved. The Cave of Alibaba by Dorothy Sayers was the story which gave us tonight's suspense. Suspense is produced by William Spear. Our guest director for this evening was Robert Louis Sheehan. Tonight's radio drama was written by Peter Lyon and scored by Bernard Herman. Romney Brent was Peter Whimsey, William Moulton played number one, and Ira Gerald, the lady in the case. Others in the cast were Kathleen Cordell, Victor Beecroft, Roland Bottomley, J.W. Austin, William Podmore, Ian Martin, and William Malton. Columbia Broadcasting System.
Thank you for downloading and listening, and please spread the word. Subscribe and follow Murky Chronicles on Spotify, Amazon, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, and on most of your favorite podcast platforms. You can get all the show links at lyricalspit.com. this show free by buying some of our swag of apparel at butcherspit.com we have t-shirts hoodies and even baby onesies that's butcherspit.com